I love being back. I don't. I don't like being whatever not back is. Is that you a know, way? No, I know. I don't know. Sir Mix uh, Sir Mix a lot wrote a song about it, so I'm just glad that we got it. Oh yeah, and baby, do you have it? And that is yes. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to another episode of Twitching Upstream. We are some nobodies. My name is Zach, and this is Dylan. I am. I don't think I'm ever going to get that right. How do you? I I try to always put you on the same side, and here we are. I thought you're always on the left side. Oh, whatever, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Anyway, uh, if you're watching this, wherever you're watching this on Twitch, on Facebook, on YouTube, uh, at any time, just go ahead and throw something in the comments and we will talk about it. Uh, what this show is, is a content creation show. Uh, we do have another show on Sundays, if you're not familiar, and it's called Talking Upstream. And on that show, we get on uh, movie creators, movie writers, book writers, uh, podcast creators, any kind of creatives, really. And then we kind of talk to them about their process, and then we create something with them what we did with this show is we wanted to kind of branch it out and be a little more specific with it and kind of show people how we take uh those ideas that we turn to a a story and then take that story and turn it down to a beat turn it down to a script and then break it down and show you guys how we turn uh a weird text message into a, a movie really which i guess is what give me back is really right yeah that's what we did yeah so uh if you guys don't know we do have a movie in in uh production it is called Give Me Back. It is a short film that Dylan wrote. Uh, it is something that we created on Talking Upstream and then developed on our own. But yeah, it was something that we just created. It was, it was a very stupid idea that one of us texts each other and then we kind of turned it into something, turned it into a TV show, Talk Upstream, and then worked on it a little bit more in here. So yeah, that's all we really want to do. We just want to talk creatives uh, with other creatives. So if you're watching this and you are a creative and you have an idea of where we should go with the storyline, throw it into the chat and then we'll talk about it or really just say hi or talk about comic, comic book stuff. Uh, before we go with anything, really, uh, Dylan, how are you, sir? Doing well. I'm uh, I'm on semi vacation. I'm in Michigan right now for the yeah. next little while. Uh, just hanging out. Yeah, yeah. I see your we'll family see. let you borrow their shit, which is cool. Yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, it's so nice <laughs> out here. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, hello, Mister Alex Steele. <laughs> oh, sorry. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I really thought. <laughs> what's up dude uh i thought that was gonna come up a little bit earlier for some reason uh anyway yeah so uh while dylan is away i decided to uh set up in my bedroom so that we both feel like we're in a different space and that makes us both feel great um it's nice for the creative process to uh get a different locale it helps yeah, refresh I, your your energy yeah, I, agree. I, got some, that. I got some trees and some wilderness yeah. right here so I'm, I'm doing good uh all right so before we get into more creation, someone backing up a truck in your parking lot Somebody is backing up a truck in my, in my oh, wow. parking lot. Okay. Sorry, it was uh, thunderstorming. I had the window open. It was. I probably should go back to uh, some nobody studios <laughs> uh, where there's no trucks backing up. McManhattan, how are you, sir? Good to see Mr. you, Mr. Manhattan. 
Uh, okay, so before we get into more of the creation process, I like to throw a bunch of nerd information at Dylan because I text him a lot of things and he refuses to respond, especially when he's at his family uh, retreat at the lakes. So, <laughs> and they let him borrow his shit. Uh, so, on to some nerd news, if that's okay. Uh, yeah. Obviously, Falcon and Winter Soldier came out last week. That was the season finale. Uh, beautiful show. Do you have any comments on how that show wrapped up spoiler free? Uh, it's good. I didn't expect it to end in a literal five-minute speech about doing better, but I suspect I suppose that makes sense. Uh, yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, I, that's he doesn't I have powers. Say it solidifies the shield as nothing more than just a plot device to do whatever they needed to do in any given action scene. Yeah, that is which cool. is fine. I do like that that Sam turned into the rebirth of Iron Man, Captain America, and Black Panther all at once. That was pretty impressive, and. Yeah. Uh, I'm really uh, excited to see what they're going to do in the future. I know because of how successful the show was, they did uh, recently announce it was a Captain America 4, which is not going to have Steve Rogers in it, which is great. Uh, there is a little bit of backlash over who people think should have uh, the shield, you know, whether it's Bucky, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, Eddie, but Wyatt Russell. Uh, what, what do you think about it? Who, who deserves a shield if you're in the MCU? I mean, Steve gave it to falcon yeah i don't know like that yeah. seems pretty cut and dry though there is a fair point to be made from one of the characters that it's kind of a legal gray area but this is a superhero story so it's his shield to pass on to who he likes i don't particularly care what the government says now speaking of legal gray area do you think that means because it wasn't steve's to give or it was a different uh, universe because if it is a different universe's shield then it technically wouldn't be anybody's to give. Because the one thing that, that Val said that made me really question things was she said, things are about to get weird. Now, what do you think she means by getting weird in the MCU? Uh, I mean, we're, I mean, phase four is going to have all the cosmic stuff in there. And we really have to wait for the Eternals to see how weird stuff is actually going to get. Because the yeah. Eternals has the potential to get really fun and really weird. We'll see if it actually happens. <laughs> yeah. Um, a quick question. What do you think Bucky's superhero name is going to be moving forward? Is he going to stick with the Winter Soldier? Is he going to try to work in Gray Wolf or White Wolf? Uh, is he going to stick with Bucky? I've, Bucky is such a like plucky uh, you know, name from like the 1940s. I think White Wolf is probably the most likely. Yeah, that makes um, sense. But he needs a new like white metal arm then. That'd be just cool. To, just to keep with the mar just to keep with the MCU's like color scheme. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I do like his arm now. Like when he like yeah. when he stretches too hard, like a little bit yeah. of gold veins pop out. I think that's awesome. Yeah. Um, okay, so speaking of uh MCU and some other stuff, there is the the weird iPhone theory that you kind of brought up, or uh, I'm not sure if you brought it up, but you definitely called uh Sharon Carter being all right, spoilers if you haven't seen Falcon yeah. and Winter Soldier. Spoilers. Whatever. Uh <laughs> Sharon Carter is uh a power broker the power broker in the comics it is like a name like a title that people hold uh but i'm not sure if you said it earlier but there is this idea of the iphone theory in uh major cinema uh do you want to talk on that real fast from what i understand the iphone theory as it relates to like pop culture is that apple when they license out an iphone as product placement for a character to have in any sort of movie has like a contractual agreement that a villain or antagonist will not have an iphone 
Uh, it's from what I get, gather, it's kind of similar to Vin Diesel's "I Can't Lose a Fight" yep. <laughs> contract. Yeah. Um, and I mean, the only person in Falcon and Winter Soldier that I think we ever see with an Android with a non iPhone phone is Sharon Carter. Sharon yeah. Carter. Sharon. Yeah. Sharon. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, she has a, a Samsung something or rather, uh, which is interesting. Um, and that's why one uh, some people said, oh, she's probably the power broker. I didn't buy it. Well, the weird thing is the Val uh, has an iPhone, and she's like obviously pitted as the main villain. So uh, it, it is odd to, to, to think about the iPhone theory. And when you're watching big cinema, uh, check it out. If somebody's got an iPhone, most likely they're not a bad guy if that's going to be uh, a plot device. Um, okay, so... I think uh, one of the things I want to talk to you about is um, the idea of death in cinema. Uh, yeah. Death is something that people uh, really have a, a weird relationship with. Some people find it to be something you shouldn't put in movies. Some people find it a very powerful plot device. Uh, Game of Thrones really changed uh, expectations with killing off major characters, and it became uh, pretty much synonymous for killing off major characters, which left a lot of the audience kind of questioning, like, I really don't know what's going to happen. Uh, how do you feel death should be portrayed in, in major franchise movies. I think it can be utilized as a really effective storytelling tool. If utilized effectively, um, game of Thrones, most of those deaths feel either earned based on character choice and consequence, or as a symptom of the wider setting where something cruel happens and, Ultimately, it helps reinforce the tone of the story. Now, you could do that badly. <laughs> I think Game of Thrones gets away with it because they had a pretty strong start with a lot of character development and a lot of tone established early on that it was a dark and hard world to live in. Yeah. Um, if you're if you are just killing them off just for like plain shock, it starts to get to a point where it's like, I can't get attached to any of these people because they kill people off without it feeling earned. Yeah, fair. Um, now, there is a big movement, I think, with larger franchises, especially, you know, the Warner Brothers and Disney franchises, to put a lot more either heartfelt deaths. Um, and I think that we saw that with Tony Stark, where it's like, okay, this actually, this death means something. And then they kind of did a weird version of that with WandaVision, where Vision's death uh, had to mean something different. Um, now, current speculation is that uh, the next MCU, the big next big MCU movie, the Thor uh, Thor 4 Gore more or whatever uh, is going to have a fair amount of deaths. Now, if you don't know a lot about the character Gore, Gore is a god hunter. And once his family dies, he felt that he was somebody who gave all the right sacrifices to the gods. When he went to approach gods and asked them, why are you, why did my family die? They were just kind of hanging out partying the way gods do. And then he went on a mission with a very special weapon to start mowing down gods. Now, in the next you know, Thor franchise movie, uh, Christian Bale is playing Gore. And speculation is uh, currently that there are up to seven deaths of pretty major characters that are going to be in this film. Uh, I want to throw a couple at you and see how you feel the death of this character will change the MCU, if at all. Um, Lady Sif, who is Thor's last remaining friend. Did she not die in Ragnarok? Correct. That's as effective as I think that death is going to be. Okay. Uh, the acting... The acting. Oh, you want to talk on that? Only because Thor's friends, the, the Warriors whatever. Three. Warriors 3. Not really strong character presences. Yeah, fair. 
Yeah, there's Carrie um, Elwes, there's the big guy, and there's the, the Asian guy, and it's like, all right. It wasn't Carrie Elwes. No, but it was very clearly supposed to be. It was like, it was Shazam. I, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Um. Okay. How about the acting group that is uh, Sam Neill, Liam Hemsworth, and Matt Damon? I assumed they were a comedy one-off in Ragnarok. Yeah. So, uh, okay, I mean, we're we're looking. It looks like most of these deaths seem to be targeting disposable side characters regardless where it's like, I don't know. I mean, you have, you have a list, so keep going. But like so far, that's like four or five of them where I'm like, they're all C or B tier characters that are not super. I mean, they could obviously build it up, but right. yeah. Uh, Melissa McCarthy. Is she in this? <laughs> she will be. <laughs> oh, cool. All right. Yeah. She- uh, yeah, we don't she, know anything about her character. Wait, is she yet. gore? No, no, that's Christian Bale. Uh, okay, now uh, there's two that I thought. Oh, these are actually pretty important. Now, Korg, uh, the Rock Man. Mm-hmm. There's a chance that he's going to die. Sure. Um, obviously, when you look at a character who's like primarily comic relief, and then you have the dramatic turn of them dying, that can be a really effective tool. And I think people like Korg enough. It depends on whether they give him enough characterization to where he doesn't become simply comic relief. Because right now it's like, from Ragnarok, we know he's kind of like a rebel leader. But then all we see of him in Endgame is comedy bits of him playing Fortnite in 2025? Uh, six? Whenever, five, when, five yeah. years after Infinity War, he's playing Fortnite. I'm like, man, yeah. I, I don't think that's going to be around then. Uh, and the last one that I read is Jeff Goldblum's character, the Grandmaster. Did he not get killed by the mob at the end of Ragnarok? No. All right. No. <laughs> no, he did not. Yeah, sure. Uh, he's a villain, so I'm. Marvel doesn't have a track record of having villains stick around for too long, so I had obviously assumed he was going to be a one movie wonder. Like, yeah. Um, know, every other villain that's not Thanos or Loki. Loki. Yeah. And probably now um, uh, Zemo. Yes. Because he's got some personality to him. Zemo Uh, was one of the best parts of Winter Soldier. I agree. Speaking of Winter Soldier, I think that 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 show got a bit of a bad rap, though, because, uh, you know, it it was written before COVID got really, you know, really bad. And a major point of the plot of that show was that there was this global pandemic going on and the flag smashers were bringing vaccines to certain people only people that were not gone in the blip and i think because of covid they had this really swerve that entire plot line which really made uh her you know carly's character uh, un you really couldn't sympathize or connect with them because it was just, it felt underdone but anyway uh okay so speaking on death still now I think DC is going to do the opposite. I think they're going to play deaths for comedic value only where suicide squad, apparently because of how lackluster the first suicide squad did the suicide squad now promises at least seven deaths. How do you feel that's going to work? I am cautious about quantifying deaths as a selling point in media where it's like, huh, look at how edgy we look at how, look at how dark this is going to be. We're going to kill at least seven characters, but if there's ever an appropriate time to advertise how lethal a movie or franchise is going to be, it's going to be a villainous movie based on a group called the Suicide Squad. And one of the flaws from the first one is that the only character who dies, the only like Suicide Squad character who dies 
is the character who is a minority and also doesn't have an intro sequence and doesn't speak more than like three lines of dialogue. (laughs) So Suicide Squad can get away with being vicious towards its characters by virtue of the fact that that's part of the thesis of the movie. Yeah. No, I agree, and I think that using it for comedic value, I guess, is a bit tough, but uh, if, if done right, then it works, especially oh, in, yeah. that, in that medium. Yeah. Uh, speaking of DC, though, uh, recently a Batman number one comic sold for $1.2 million in an auction, which I think is one of the highest that a comic book has sold for. What do you think makes Batman so popular? He, from Speaking for myself, I like the fact that he's just clever his superpowers preparedness and doesn't rely on any sort of like cosmic radiation or genetic mutation or anything except his own, I guess not even not psychosis, but he, I mean, he's a crazy person, but his ability to be prepared and just training and dedication and willpower is his superpower. He doesn't have any sort of like alien technology or anything like that. Um, and I think there's an element of just like being the bad guy, bad boy of the group. Yeah. Like, yeah. He's he's gloomy. Yeah, he's he he's brooding. Yeah. yeah. You like a good brood. Yeah. Um other other uh nerd news, Star Wars. Uh May 4th is coming up very very soon. Obviously we know that's Star Wars day. May the 4th be with you. Um now the Bad Batch is coming out May 4th. And do you know anything about that series? Uh they are X-Men clones. Like, they're clone troopers who have X-Men powers, right? <laughs> they're, like, defective clones who have, like, laser vision or fire breath or something. I don't think they have superpowers. I think powers. I got missold on this. But they're, they're like, non-standard right. clones that got put into their own unit, right? right. Well, that's true, yeah. So uh, some of the clones, uh, some of them were defective. And uh, the ones that were defective on a positive end got put into the Bad Batch. Like, they don't look like normal clones. Uh, they have uh, a little bit obviously different personalities oh, um wow, that's a week from today yeah i know i'm excited about oh, that oh wow hey um, just remember it's a jedi holiday and some of us still have to go to work yeah i know man i i, yeah. I don't but i'll support you um other star wars news now uh boba fett and the book of boba is coming out this december and that kind of got me thinking that boba fett after taking over what jabba's palace was and everything else he's the villain right and if he is a villain we're going to need a good guy to make that show make sense unless it's going to be just a bunch of uh, you know posse fighting which i doubt is there any chance, because both George Lucas and Samuel L. Jackson have both admitted that Mace Windu is not dead, is there any chance he will be the one, knowing that he killed Boba Fett's dad? Have they confirmed that he is not dead, or did they simply hint that we never saw a body? George, well, okay, so uh, Star Wars canon is that you did not see a body. George yes. Lucas himself says that he did not intend for uh, him to die. Samuel Jackson says in his personal lore, the character is not dead. I am hesitant to lend any weight to that. <laughs> Only no. because Anakin's complicit, Anakin is complicit in his defeat and uh, presumed death. And that's a major character beat for him turn into the dark side. And I don't like you haven't seen a body they're not dead. I don't like that. 
I don't like that. That comes from my background being really heavily involved in the online Game of Thrones community. Yeah. Where every single character who dies off screen is like, no, no, Arya's sword trainer. He's still alive. And you know what? There's a bunch of people who can look like other people. And we're going to spin off a theory that he's secretly one of these faceless guys. And I'm like, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> um, it, it does fit with Star Wars being just kind of like this high fantasy action romp that character deaths aren't real unless it happens on screen to a main character or in front of a main character. Yeah. But I think it would probably be more likely they get, they get Samuel L. Jackson to show up and mentor a new character for like one or two episodes as a force ghost. That way he can do it on like a green screen. doesn't have to come on set, do any sort of stunts. Cause he's like 85 years old and nobody <laughs> seems to remember that. <laughs> yeah, for real. Uh, but I mean, I think that he is everyone's fan favorite and almost any lore that he's yeah. in. So um, uh, a little bit of our Star Wars news. There's conversation around uh, the possibility of a Kylo Ren spinoff series, uh, a prequel to force awakens. Do you think there's any, anybody wants to watch <laughs> that? Is, is that a, is that a compelling character at all? I don't think Adam Driver wants to have anything to do with Star Wars ever again. Well, I don't I think, think anybody who was in Disney trilogy. Right. Because of that, it's most likely going to be an animated thing. Um, but do you think anybody cares about that storyline whatsoever? I think Star Wars completionists will watch it. I don't yeah, think anybody so who's a me. casual Star Wars fan is going to be like, oh, there's an animated Kylo Ren series on put Luke Skywalker in it and some of the older fans will watch it, which I think we saw with the Mandalorian put, yeah. you know, I they'll make it work if they want to, but it's, I don't, my own personal opinion. I don't think it's going to feel earned. Yeah. And I'm yeah. not going to care about it. That's fair. It would be something else. I text you about like, did you sure. see this? And you're like, no, <laughs> I'm, I mean, um, you know, if you say it's good, I'll probably check it, check it out. Cause I, yeah. I like star Wars as a background event. Now I'm yeah. not in, I'm not super into, uh, keeping up with all of the established massive disney canon oh my god i am i know <laughs> uh and the last bit of nerd news that i got is that elon musk is slated to host snl this weekend um what do you like uh what 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 are your views on this dude he is like rockefeller where he's a villain and i think history is going to treat him worse than his Twitter followers do right now. Yeah. But we're bad people. Historically speaking, bad people tend to advance science and it's unfortunate. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, I just, I don't like Elon Musk on a whole lot of grounds and this memification of him as this goofy guy, I think is kind of dangerous, but yeah, that's a topic for a far more serious podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Uh, I, I, yeah, I guess now he's just trying to like kind of make jokes of himself so that the stupid things that he does do uh, doesn't seem that big of a deal. So I'm, I, I hope that uh, people don't fall for it. He is uh, probably not a good guy. So no. uh, whatever. Uh, okay. So let's get on to what we do in yes. this show. And uh, we take a concept and then we turn it into something that can be produced into something, whether it's a comic or a podcast or whatever. Uh, Last three episodes, we've been working very intensely on a concept that we have been calling Phantom Limb so far. And um, we're going to go over 
what we've done last couple of weeks and what we're going to do with the remainder of today. Before we get going, though, just want to thank some people. Uh, number one, Mick Manhattan and the Scene Snobs. Uh, thank you guys very much. Uh, very special thank you to the panel of the Scene Snobbies. Uh, the Scene yeah. Snobs Snobbies. Uh, we are officially an award-winning podcast uh, group now. Silicon Angels, which you'll see underneath Dylan, uh, which he wrote and uh, directed and did a whole bunch of stuff on that and even acted in a couple of times. Um, that won uh, a snobby for yeah. uh, best podcast uh, in creativity. And we uh, were very creative in making that show. If you don't know what that show is, please go check it out. It is yeah. a very weird show about the IT department of a sex robot shop. Uh, it is not as graphic as you think it is. No. Uh, I, th I think it's more intelligent <laughs> than a lot of people think it is, but uh, I, I thoroughly enjoy it. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much to Scene Snobs and to the Snobby Awards. Uh, awesome, awesome, awesome. And it is great to be even nominated in, in categories. We have four nominations george g the third hello hello um but yeah so thank you uh scott curtis with behind the bits awesome podcaster uh great 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 show awesome dude check out scott curtis he's an award-winning podcaster as well uh sarah takachik tanya sheck also listener app uh wherever you find apps uh or uh, things to listen to or whatever who cares uh <laughs> uh yeah go to instagram and check out at the greatest podcast app they uh very very cool app um yeah. Okay, cool. So, Phantom Limb. Yes. Why don't you get us caught up? So, Phantom Limb. A few episodes ago on Twitch and Upstream, this very show. I think episode one or two. Uh, we did what we do on Talking Upstream with a few less restrictions, um, and we developed an idea for a story called Phantom Limb about a surgeon who has the magical ability to always do a surgery correctly, and he gets kidnapped and recruited by an occult criminal gang in Cincinnati, Ohio, to help them get some power on the streets. What we're doing right now in Twitch and upstream, and I believe this is part four of our extended edition, focusing specifically on story development. We are following the process outlined in the novel, save the, in the book, save the cat, which details how to structure a screenplay. So right here, this is a detailed summary, which I summarized from when we did the actual episode. I took that and I developed a beat sheet, which is a list of 15 story beats, including the opening image, stating the theme, the catalyst for the hero, that sort of thing. And just kind of broke that up into story segments, which are referred to as beats. Um, I then took those 15 beats and I kind of did a scene breakdown where I simply came up with whatever scenes I thought would fit within that structure. Came out to about 23 or so. Uh, over the past few episodes, what Zach and I have done... We developed some of the characters, who we thought might play them, some of their like subplots and stuff. And what we're doing right now is going through the scenes and figuring out what concrete images, images, lines of dialogue, and other sequences we want to include in these scenes. I believe we had gotten up to about the sixth last time, uh, which was a dinner with a crime boss. So very briefly what the story goes so far, we see a crime boss and his personal assistant, who is also a ritual magician in Cincinnati and they're talking about someone who can get the curse out of the crime lord don't know what that means yet we see a surgeon uh, Dr. Thaddeus Cole in a hospital he is a limb reatta reattachment person I don't remember the technical term but that's what we're going to call it right now um, he's very good at reattaching limbs to people who have had them amputated or cut lost in accidents or something like that we see that he takes it very seriously he's very good at it and his family loves him very much uh, he goes out with his family. Uh, he gets called in for a special surgery. He does it, and he gets kidnapped by some people in the parking garage. 
He wakes up in a small room, doesn't know where he is, but a uh, gangster, who we later learn his name, Chaz, comes to retrieve him from his room, takes him to an operating theater where the crime boss is there. It's like, hey, I've been cursed. We got you in here because we believe you're capable of removing the curse, and it needs to be happened now. He has a brief crisis of conscience, but then he realizes he's a doctor and he needs to help this person regardless of who they are. Uh, removes a thorned branch from the uh, man's heart, which seems to immediately uh, make him better. And then he is taken back to his room. Uh, later on, he's summoned for dinner with the crime boss after he's recovered. Crime boss offers him a gig, and uh, the surgeon manages to negotiate that into payment to his family, who believe that he has died and vanished mysteriously. And that is where we left off, I believe. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So hopping into this thing, uh, we're going to pick up right around uh, scene seven. Now, what we had so far was that Cole was taken to his new quarters, a new penthouse with a balcony overlooking the river. Hold on. My, my thing messed up. No, you're good. Uh, yeah. Uh, he tries to escape by making a bedsheet rope, but it only leads down to the exact room he just left. At first, he thinks it's a copy, so he marks the floor with a marker and tries again, but this time the mark is there again. Uh, cool. I think yeah. it's going to be a very funny and cool scene. Yeah. Um, so this is just an attempt from... Cole, give me a second. Sorry. Hold on. <laughs> what are you doing? What? <laughs> uh, I wonder what happened. Okay, anyway, so we're going to work on here. Oh, okay, there's a dog here. Okay, that's fine. You don't need to mute that thing. That's fine. Let that dog in the house. No. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, she's that's that is Tina. That is my sister's dog. She's very she's very affectionate. Um, that's okay. No, anyway. Um, <laughs> okay, for those that are just listening, this for some reason, uh, Dylan was just attacked by a dog, and luckily he hit the mute button right before things got yes. very naughty. Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, where were we? Uh, we we're talking about Cole attempting to escape his penthouse quarters. Because the uh, it's obvious that the crime gang is intending for him to live with them and be their in-house kind of like surgeon field medic. Yeah. So he tries to, you know, he's on a he has a balcony, so he's like, oh, I will. I mean, I'll climb down to the room below me and climb down to the room below that and get out of here. So he makes a bed. He makes a bed sheet rope. You know, like how they do. He climbs down to the balcony below him, and the room looks identical. He's like, this is weird. So he tries it again, climbs down again. Now, when you say identical, is the bed sheet that he had there, is it there in this room too? So this is where we can have a little bit of like weird magic portrayal where mm -hmm. we could have him like put his feet down on a, on a balcony where there is already a rope tied to it. And he has a brief moment where he goes, how many people are they kidnapping? Yeah, I think he, that's, I, I don't I like think that. he sees himself below no. him. <laughs> no, but no. I think it it is functionally identical to the balcony he just left, and he does this like once or twice, and then he's like, "All right, I got to try this out." So he like maybe they have maybe he has like stationery or something, or he has a fireplace with some like burned logs in it, and he makes like a mark on the balcony so he can yeah. determine that's like, specifically his. And then he looks over the balcony, and it's not that same balcony below him. So yeah. he climbs down, and the balcony below him has the mark on it, and he goes this shouldn't be this way. 
Yeah. And you have that brief moment where he realizes how truly trapped he is. Now, how, how much not how much knowledge does uh, Cole have of magic and wizardry in this world? I figured zero. I figured okay. this is completely new to him. Yeah. Now, earlier you said that he might have a superpower of always doing a surgery correct. Is that <laughs> mm-hmm. true? Yeah, I like we, that. I wish we <laughs> talked about that before. We had tossed around the idea that his Hippocratic Oath was magically binding. And that's why they had to go find him to be the one to be their surgeon. Cause they're like, we could either train this woman, Renee to be our surgeon and she'll have a, always a chance of failing, or we can kidnap the surgeon who has never failed it before because he's magic and he doesn't know it. Yeah, no, I think that's, uh, that's very cool. (laughs) uh, I like that idea a lot. And then there's the implication that he's just a really good surgeon. Cause at some point he does lose it or something. So this 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 scene is pretty self-explanatory, right? This is yeah. all just whatever we want to do in the time just to make it a little more funny or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, I, I like the idea that this is his first experience of magic. He is learning that uh, he is a prisoner in a, a new form of prison and uh, things are very weird, which I guess makes him kind of question whatever's going on at all, yeah. right? Yeah. All right. So that one's easy. Yeah. Uh, all right. So <laughs> scene eight, Cole is revisited by Renee. And they have a come-to-terms meeting. Renee is clearly not happy that Cole was there, but she seems eager to learn. They part on tense but professional terms. Yes. All right, what are you trying to achieve with the scene? So this is partially to introduce that Renee feels replaced because she was training to be like, you know, when when this ability is so rare or when when it's such specialized knowledge and you've been training for it, it's not great to have someone come along and just completely replace you. Yeah. So it's partially to get her as like more developed character and also to introduce the fact that she is going to be apprenticing under him, which will have the question of, is he going to be replaced at some point? I like that. Um, is there any sort of specific kind of like back and forth you could see between these two? Because we, we had a kind of developed Renee as the a little bit of femme fatale, even though there's no ro- like romance there because Thaddeus is happily married. Yeah. But now yeah. I, w- I would assume that Renee uh, feels that she deserves the job by herself and that she probably can do it all. Uh, she's probably a little upset that Cole cannot mess up a surgery. Um so I'm guessing this is, you know, that kind of scene in Armageddon where it's like, do you teach astronauts how to mine or do you teach miners how to astronaut? Right? Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, man. Um, they, have to, yeah, they have to go kill the demon at the center of the earth. Yeah. <laughs> well, you could teach priests how to drill or you could teach drillers how to priest. It's yeah. Like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> and we gotta hurry up and do this before the next movie of the same exact uh, yeah concept. right. <laughs> um, and I figured this is kind of hinting from her that he's not like, as skilled as he may think he is, or something yep. like that. Um, so yeah, I, I think that maybe Cole is a bit arrogant, uh, and he's like, "Look, I've done a lot of surgeries. I'm not even worried about this. I'm just worried about what is this place? Like, why am I stuck here?" And then this is when Renee's like, "Look, you might think you know how to do things, but there's a lot of stuff that you don't know. A lot of stuff that your Ivy League college can't teach you. That kind of stuff, right? Is that what you're kind of yeah. getting out of this? Because she she needs to hold power over him and the knowledge that she has on 
like the the magic world i think is yeah. where she's going to catch it we have a little bit of them um discussing the surgery from earlier yeah and uh i also like maybe if if <laughs> uh i mean we could even have uh like renee insinuating that there's not going to be like any kind of romance <laughs> and he's like look i'm married <laughs> <You know>? yeah we're <laughs> <laughs> talking about um but yeah, I think that scene's mostly uh, comedic value, a little bit of exposition. Um, yeah. Uh, okay, so I think that's that's pretty much the the, the meat of uh, scene eight, right? Yeah, pretty much. All right, scene nine. Cole was visited by Renee and called into the operating room. Chaz is on a table with a tourniquet on his elbow. They have an iron-banded black wood box there with a demon arm inside. Cole is told to graft the arm onto Chaz, and he does. This is this is kind of, I mean, obviously this is the second surgery he's done, but this is the start of like, in in the beat sheet. This is kind of where you have a part called like fun and games, where you start to see what is possible in this world, mm-hmm. and the characters start to like realize what's really going on. And it also kind of breaks into act two where Cole is on solid ground and he starts to react. Yeah, cool. Um, so what do we need to accomplish with this scene? Really? Uh, so this is going to be Cole's uh, first uh, visual dabble into the, the, the mystical world, right? He's going to, uh, okay. We got to have a cool scene where they open this box in a very weird way, which yeah. I would, I would assume, uh, I, I guess it would be a thing where Cole's going to walk into a room and see Chaz and he sees the arms missing or whatever. Uh, and he's going to kind of like just assume it's going to be a regular uh, reattachment, right? And then they bring in this iron banded black wooden box and they're like, yeah, the arms in here. And Cole tries to open it and he can't. And then Renee comes over. Do you think Renee is the one who opens the box or do they have like a special uh, box opening summoner? I think Renee, maybe the box is brought in by someone who's wearing like special gloves or something. Yeah. And then Renee is like, don't touch, don't touch it. And then she puts on like a gloves with like brass plates on it. You know, you know what I mean? Like brass oh, gauntlets yeah. almost. Yeah. Renee has a special like ritual to open the box. And oh, the cool. arm I, I like the idea. Is- I like the idea of instead of using like, you know, uh, uh, like, gl- you know, gloves, surgical gloves, they use like gauntlets and like <laughs> brass stuff. I think that's very cool. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Lots of brass fixtures. Gauntlets instead of gloves. You could have like a banded, a banded bronze, like surgical apron or something. Yeah. With like cool. runes on it. And he goes, this isn't this isn't surgical standard. It's like this isn't standard surgery. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and then I guess all we're really doing with this scene is showing Cole's inexperience with the magical world, uh, letting him know that he doesn't know everything about surgery, even though he can do it all. <clears throat> I like the idea of somebody knowing or like being able to do things they don't know they can do. That, that's yeah, that's interesting too. Um, and I guess quickly Cole's body just takes over and, uh, knows what to do to 
to do this, right? Yeah, I, he he gets it done without a whole lot of issue. I think. Yeah. Um, is that the most you're trying to accomplish with that scene? I think so. I think this one's going to rely a lot on just visuals and tone. Like, yeah. Because this is supposed to be weird. Yeah. And I like the idea of them kind of having to wrestle with it and maybe like, I mean, obviously Cole freaks out probably at the start, but yeah. gets over it pretty soon. Uh, even what, what they do a thing where they, uh, they have to handcuff the demon arm to Cole and they're like, why are you doing this? And it's like, so you can't get away. And it's like, what, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and the arm just like starts freaking out, but it's attached to Cole. Some um, sort of binding, yeah. Yeah. All right. So scene ten. Uh, Chaz visits Cole soon after, well recovered. His demon hand is in a glove, and he's pretty thankful and a cool guy. He says Cole is going to accompany them on a ride along against uh, another gang. Cole was wary. Wary. Uh, yeah. But if it helps prevent people from getting hurt, he's kind of stuck. Yeah, I, I'm into that. Um, so what we're trying to get out of this is that a Chaz is a decent person. Um, yeah. B Cole is, he, he's a good, good person too. Um, but why is Cole going to accompany the ride along? Is it because he needs to check to make sure that his suture, his, the sutures stick or. I figured it's because Cole is also going to be their field medic. Oh, okay. So they're just taking him everywhere now. Yeah. All right, cool. Um, so what are we trying to get out of this scene? That I figure this is going to be Chaz like reminding Cole and warning him not to try and get away. Yeah. So are they going to go do something that's like intimidating to Cole? But is it one of those things where like they go on like a hardcore shakedown, like a magic shakedown and just kind of show Cole like how tough they really are? Yeah, I figured this uh the scene scene 12 up ahead is the actual ride along when they are fighting against a gang of werewolves. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Why what not? Cool, yeah, whatever. What cool sentence. <laughs> the Cincinnati werewolves. Yeah. Um okay, so scene 11. Um he gets a tour of the compound and preps for a ride along. This is the outfitting scene and this is kind of like, hey, you know, we don't we're not going to give you a full tour yet, but this is just kind of what you can expect. <clears throat> and I figure this is where we show that like Oh, they're supernatural armaments. Yeah. <laughs> so they've got like a snake terrarium, which is how they do like their divining spell. You know, you got the, we had talked about that last week where it's like they lay it out on the table and then. Yeah. No, I think, yeah, I like that. Um, <clears throat> so, I mean, if we want to brainstorm just some supernatural stuff, we don't have to like fully explain like, um, let's see. I'm trying to think of what a modern day industrial like occult laboratory would look like. What what you would have? Um. So I like the idea of I've always kind of had this idea of multiple crystal balls. You know, like you, you ever see like in a newsroom where they have like different uh, clocks of different of different time zones. <laughs> I've always wondered why people don't have multiple crystal balls just constantly rolling. Like they have the one ball. But they don't yeah. seem like they're like you know like they're hard to get. <laughs> yeah, like, get, get a bunch of balls going. Um, so I like that. I like um, maybe uh, their cauldron. I, I'm I'm liking steampunk stuff because I like the brass aspect thing. Yeah. So I like their cauldron being <laughs> similar to like uh, like a distilling thing. Like they're distilling uh, like magic or something. Spirits. Yeah. Um, 
so like the, the 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 witch you know that would be the star is like a hipster uh you know <laughs> a, a micro brew guy yeah <laughs> and it's like oh cool this is the finest homegrown newt's eyes that we could find dude this is an organic yeah um, right. i think that's or- cool organic like witch bane or wolf yeah. bane yeah, yeah. V- vegan uh you know uh <laughs> satan uh uh, uh <laughs> you know, wings, uh, bat wings. Um, see what, what are some of our stuff? So what, what are, when you think of magic goings ons, what, what do you think of? Um, I'm seeing the scene where it's like guns. It's like, well, yeah. What were you expecting? Wands? Oh yeah. Also guns. <laughs> like sometimes, sometimes, you know, now okay, magic so, is fine so wands are pretty much like in in the harry potter universe wands are just guns with different kind of bullets right U- utilitarian uh, yeah yeah now has anyone ever thought of a machine gun wand i mean like probably you mean in, in harry potter or ever i mean like ever yeah there are a few um there are there are a few series that seem to treat wands very similar to guns um mm-hmm. i'm thinking of the Glenn Cook's Garrett P.I. novels from the 80s and 90s, which is set in a fantasy version of L.A., and the main character is a private investigator, but he's also, like, a wizard guy. Yeah. Um, Bright did not do that. Um, no. 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 Um, Bright's also very lazy. <laughs> yeah. I like the idea of, like, using guns like wands, like shooting spells instead of bullets. I think that's cool. Uh, I also like the idea of like magic brass knuckles for some reason. Yeah, they're like they're brass knuckles and they have little quartz bits sticking off. Yeah, the... and like when you punch somebody's arm instead of like bruising, it just like turns into like a, a piece of metal or something. It punches their spirit out of their body. Ooh, cool! Yeah, <laughs> you punch ghosts. Yeah, ghost uh... puncher. Or like our... every, every time you every time you punch somebody, uh, it, it affects their next of kin. I'm gonna I'm gonna pitch Ghost Puncher on one Ghost of our puncher. upcoming episodes. It's a person that can punch ghosts but cannot see them, so yeah. it's just wildly like lashing out the streets. I'm here to. Oh, <laughs> did you ever watch the Crawl Show? Uh, yeah, some of it. it yeah. They had a they had a sequence where um, one of the like Guido characters was like. Yeah, ghost bouncers. We're gonna bounce these ghosts. It's like they go into houses and like, all right, ghosts, yeah. you're about to get out of here. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's cool. Uh, where are we at? All right, twelve. Yeah. Oh wait, do you want to work on more of this? I think that's probably good. It's just it doesn't all have to be explained. It's just uh, kind of give. Yeah, it's all flavor. Yeah, this could be like a montage scene where we go to a bunch yeah. of different kind of places. Uh, you're probably going to go like to like a like a Seven Eleven, and Cole's like, "Well, what's up with this place?" And you go, "Nothing. I just want to sleep here or something." Yeah. Uh, all right, twelve. Uh, Cole accompanies the gang on a raid against the against the gang in the middle of the night. It's a full moon, and the gangsters are decked out in occult stuff, silver weapons, etc. Cole makes a joke about vampires, but it's actually werewolves. <laughs> During the raid, Cole, <laughs> Cole tries to escape, but is cornered by a bestial half-wolf uh, gangster. He's about to perish when Chaz shows up and uses his new demon power to save him. The rest of the raid goes well, and the gangsters go back to the base triumphantly. Yeah, so I figured this is... I figure initially Cole is told to like wait in the car or something like that, and he has some sort of... like. 
guard and then they bring someone back who's been hurt and they're like you need to take care of and you know he has to perform like a field operation yeah and i like during, that and during that like maybe some werewolves get close to the car or something um who gets hurt that needs the operation some some low level street enforcer it doesn't have to be a named character now, is this also the scene where maybe like a werewolf gets hurt and Cole's like, look, we might as well just save him also. Like we're here. We could. He could help that. Yeah, he could. Um, I always think that's a good thing. and That, that would probably yeah. push Chaz a little bit harder. But I guess we don't need to show that Cole's a bad guy for some reason. But no, maybe he just but he also doesn't need to take sides. I, I like the idea that like Chaz knocks the word, like beats the werewolf up or something. And Cole goes over to make sure it's not going to die. Yeah. It's like, what are you doing? It's like, I mean, helping people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I took this oath. I have to, um, you brought me along to help people. I'm helping. And I guess, people, yeah, I guess those people. So if, if his oath is like spiritual, uh, then he would have to help people. Right. Yeah. I figure we, we leave it ambiguous as to whether he is compelled to do so or he chooses to. Okay. Because I do like the idea of like maybe when Chaz finally used that arm, he just like wrecks some dude. <laughs> you know, like it's just, it's beyond powerful. And uh, when Cole's there, he just goes over and helps him. I think that's cool. Yeah. Um, okay. 13. Uh, we see the gangsters winning their fights with Cole patching them up. Yeah, this is pretty self explanatory. Yeah. Um, I think the gangsters should be like very overpowered. Um, and I think that that would, you know, let Cole know that he's not in good company. Let Chaz know he's probably not in great company. And I think that the the point of this is that we're going to, uh, it's like a, a takeover of the gang, right? This is, this is to show that. I mean, not right here. I just mean like the, in totality, the, the, the demon gang that Cole has gotten kidnapped by is definitely, in a position to become super powerful. Yeah. And this is a montage to introduce some of the supernatural players of the, uh, Cincinnati supernatural gang underworld. <laughs> um, so like, what kind of gangs are we thinking? Like we got the werewolves. Yeah. Um, there's, there's like the, the, <laughs> I don't know why I almost said mini giants. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't that yeah, that's what almost popped out of my mouth. Uh feel free to roll with that. I don't know how to do that without being offensive, I don't think. Um I mean <laughs> I get pygmy is an actual cultural group. Um Well, I like the idea of like giants that just aren't like the big ones that kind of get together and bully people because <laughs> like they're still bigger, but like of the giants are the small ones. Dwarf giants um, nobody believes are giants are just tall people. Yeah. Yeah. Um <coughs> how about let's see, what's some we we have like uh uh, uh what are some other like weird mythical things? Like I'm, I'm thinking like fish people, but I don't really know how that works here. Cincinnati uh, has a river. Okay. There's the, the Ohio River runs through the city. All right. Well, I'm, and you, I'm a big know, fan of fish people. I was about to say, you know you like the fish people. Um, I like, what if the fish people wear like <laughs> Scooby-Doo style, um, like scuba gear, you know, like those old, like the big, 
dome heads, and it's like just full of water inside. Um, reverse whatever. scuba. Reverse scuba. Yeah. Um, like ghost smugglers. <laughs> what are they smuggling? Ghosts. Ghosts that smuggle other ghosts, or just I think non- it'd be people who smuggle ghosts. Yeah, and then we also have um, like. Uh, like if, if the idea of like a D and D rogue was real, right? Like like a, just one of them, but he's a band of one, <laughs> well, like a band of rogues, right? Isn't that a thing? Yeah, <laughs> a band of rogues, but like D and D style. Yeah, it just seems like weird, like to have like a bunch of guys with like you know leather, uh, oh like, yes, okay. and stuff, and you're like, what are you guys doing? It's like we're rogues, like whatever. I mean, the Ren uh, Fair's not in town until August. Like, look, we're not freaking LARPers, okay? We're actual rogues. Yeah. Okay, uh, 14. Uh, Chaz and Cole bond. Cole eventually convinces Chaz to take him on a drive past of his old house. We get some family exposition as Cole watches his wife sit sat at the dinner table from outside. Um, yep, I'm cool with that. And there are flowers. You know, there's the flowers he bought for her. They're on the table, and they're wilting, so it's been a while. Yeah. And uh, is it were, were we setting Chaz up with somebody as well? We had the idea that he and Hidalgo's son would be romantically entangled. Yeah. Um, and then we also had the idea that Hidalgo's son would be killed by Rene. Yeah. Now, there is a sensitive topic here, which is referred to sometimes as barrier gaze, where you have a gay character who is the only one of the only ones to die in the story. Um, and I don't know if we want to try and actively avoid doing that or if we Wait, feel like who, this is, Oh, cause the Hidalgo son. Cause yeah. I had, I had the idea that um, since Cole has a family, there could be a bit of like, you know, if Cole's son and Chaz kind of get along. Uh, I, I definitely don't want to, I mean, I, I like the idea of somebody who is overpowered but can't save their loved one. That's always like one of those powerful moves. I think it's the reason Superman 78 was so successful and Man of Steel wasn't uh, because you have somebody that has great power and either the ability to save them or the ability to not save them. So um, I I think if maybe we introduce more gay characters also, that would yeah. <laughs> that would stop a lot of yeah. that from happening. Okay. Um, we'll think on that. Yeah, we don't really need to because I don't know if we need to show that Renee is technically bad as much as Chaz needs to get out of there. Okay. Right? Well, the part of there there needs to be at some point later on. I feel like there needs to be a point where Hidalgo loses faith in Cole and thinks that it is a decision Cole made to try and betray him, which was originally his son needs an operation and dies on the table due to Renee's interference. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I guess when when we get there we can kind of figure that out. Because <laughs> yeah. there's this other thing like maybe if like if if Hidalgo is the one who dies on the table and then his son takes over and then his son's very bad. Um and that's the reason Taz wants okay. to dip. That could be something too, and yeah. if it is that you know Renee is responsible for Hidalgo's death, then it's like she's kind of the anti-hero yeah. and is really playing a side. So we could also maybe work that in. Okay. Uh, but the scene we're working on right now, though, is yeah, this one is not really that big of a deal. Um, <clears throat> this one is. Do you think that Chaz? So Chaz doesn't really meet the family, right? They just no. drive by. 
I figured it was just like, hey, Doc, you did you did me good on several times. Um, like if you ever need anything, and he goes, I just want to, I just want to see my. Fa- you don't have to take me. You don't have to let me out of the car, but I want to see my family to make sure they're doing okay. And Jazz is like, I can pro, I can arrange that. Yeah, so it's, it's now, a bonding moment to show that Chaz sympathizes with him. Now, do we have a scene after this where we show Chaz uh, taking something from this scene, like either calling his uh, uh, partner or um, trying to do something? Good. Or is this yeah. just a building scene between Chaz and Cole? This is originally a building scene between Chaz and Cole, but I do. I mean, that you know, that is partially Chaz taking something from this interaction. Yeah, sure. All right. Uh, so scene 15, Hidalgo takes his officers, including Cole, out to a nice restaurant, and Hidalgo tries to convince Cole that this life is worth it. Cole confronts Hidalgo about Chaz and his son, but Hidalgo says that his son will have to put on a strong face because nobody's going to respect a gay crime boss. Cole says it's a very 90s attitude, and the conversation fills out on uncertain grounds. I yeah, think, I, yeah. I think this scene yeah, works fine. Um, I think that they can offer Cole a lot of money and a lot of stuff. And uh, I think Cole's main thing is that it is more about family than stuff, which would also, you know, kind of mimic uh, the opposite of Hidalgo, where it's more stuff and than family. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. And and this is just to show that Cole still has his integrity. Yeah, I agree. And that and that is more than just money. Yeah. And and power. All right. Uh, do uh, we want to do one more or we're getting really close to time? Where are we at here? Fifty okay. Uh what's the next one? Well, how many have we got left? Uh this is when Chaz gets his blood transfusion. Okay, so today we went through what number we did seven, I believe. Um, seven to if we do 14. eight now and eight next week we do or in two weeks because i we are going to be doing a rerun next week then we'll be doing eight an episode and then we'll be done all right cool let's do one, one more, more then, and then, and then <laughs> cool. we'll get out of here okay so 16 uh cole gets summoned by the operating theater uh by a gangster Chaz got shot on a raid and his bad shape renee's there and cole chews her out for not summoning him with the implication that she was trying to lead to let Chaz die on the table. Cole realizes Chaz will need a blood transfusion, and what they have is demon blood. He transfuses Chaz with the demon blood, and Chaz recovers very quickly. Uh, what's the point of this scene, do you think? This is partially to get some tension on there, because Cole might be losing the only person who sympathizes with him. And it's also to set up the final act where Cole, where Chaz is going to be instrumental to Cole getting out of there, because he's going to be demon-empowered. So I, I think this scene might work a little <laughs> bit better if uh, Cole isn't there to begin with, and maybe he stumbles upon uh, the, maybe he stumbles upon Renee transfusing demon blood, and then that's when he gets in there and he's like, "Why didn't you summon me?" And it's because Renee knows that Cole will fix him the right way, and they want to either kill Chaz or make him worse. Part of part of what I. Part of what is going on here is that he gets summoned by one of Chaz's like friends or one of his like gang buddies because Renee was going to do that anyway. And when Cole shows okay. up, he's like, he's lost enough blood. What do we have to do? What what can we do? It's like, well, cool. we have one of the gangsters is like, well, I mean, we don't have like a blood bank. We can summon some. It's like, but we don't know what that'll do to him. And he goes, screw it. It's what we've got. Yeah. 
And I guess it's like, if I can do it, then it'll work, right? Because of his Hippocratic oath. Yeah. Because <laughs> like, if if it if his body will let him do it, then it should work because he has to help people. Yeah. All right, cool. Uh, so that's a good place to stop right there. Uh, yeah. We pick back up. We'll get through the last eight scenes of here. Uh, we will not be here next week. Uh, we are doing some uh, restructuring, establishing things. I've got some dental Either- dental work. And I'm not going to be in <laughs> yeah. any. Got not going to be in any mood to dis- to have my mouth moving. Yeah, Dylan's not a funny uh, dentist guy. He is just no. a sleepy one. So uh, we're not going to be here next week. We want to thank everybody for reaching out. And let us know how you feel about this. If you do like how we're changing up twitching upstream let us know uh we love comments we love feedback yeah. uh thank you to everyone watching thank you to nick manhattan uh thank you to jimmy and the eat foundation thank you to ibm tv uh thank you to my best friend dylan uh i hope that you have safe travels back home and i hope that your teeth make it out of this uh next oh, yeah. event well <laughs> uh thank you to everybody listening uh remember to check out real boys every monday next week we're going to do clockwork orange uh but we have a bunch of weird stuff on there uh maybe i'll like this movie i i don't know i, I didn't last two times i watched it but whatever uh you can always find uh talk stream every sundays or on our youtube channel some nobodies you can just find us if you go to some nobodies uh like i said we have a movie coming out we have no. a GoFundMe if you want to play around with that we also have a patreon but until next week folks i've been zach he's been dylan you've been great we appreciate you we'll talk to you later take it easy out there